0: James chapter 2, in the word of the Lord, James chapter 2, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Good to see all of you, amen, again, repeat, keep repeating, keep repeating, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. All right, James chapter 2, if you'll look at verse 12, please. James chapter 2 and verse 12. James says, So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So there is a judgment. There is a judgment that we are going to face. Amen. But what James says about this judgment is that it is the judgment that will be done by the law of liberty or the law of freedom. Now, that's in relationship to the believer that our judgment will be by the perfect law of liberty. Amen. Uh, It's a big difference between being judged by the law of liberty, which brings freedom, and the law uh, which would bring terror if you are not right with the Lord. The terror that would come on that day of judgment. So again, so speak ye and so do. Uh, He's talking about your confession here. What you claim, live it. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Go to verse 14. What doth it profit my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? The answer to that question is no. Faith without works cannot save you. Now faith can save you, but faith without works cannot save you. And that day of judgment that's going to take place. So what doth it profit, my brethren? So he's speaking to believers here. Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute uh, destitute of daily food, one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God ye see then how that by works a man is justified did you see that did you hear that you see then how that by works a man is justified that's powerful isn't it and not by faith only likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by what works, but she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word today. We ask God that you give us inspiration to preach it, to teach it, to hear it, to receive it, and to walk in it. In Jesus' name, to God be the glory. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for standing. Okay. Brother Jonathan, would you do me a favor? Would you get them to check? I have a hum coming through here. If they would check, uh, maybe there's something that needs to be uh, corrected on the board. Okay? Amen. All right. Go to verse... Chapter 1, verse 22, please. James says this in James 1, 22, which we've already covered. He said, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Okay? So he's talking about people who hear the word. He says, you hear the word, but don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of that word. Now in chapter 2, in verse 12, he says, so speak ye and so do. Okay? So in 1, 22 and 23, He talks about being a hearer of the word and then being a doer of that word. And in verse 12, we have somebody that's claiming something. So He says, so speak ye, so do. You with me here? Okay. So speak ye, so do. What does that mean? Does that mean everything you say No, he's talking about a confession of faith. So in one case, he says, if you be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Now he says, if you claim to be a believer, so speak ye, so do. Then put that into action. Okay? Put your claims, your profession of faith into action. Now, verse verse, uh, 14 But what doth it profit my brethren, though a man say? Did you catch that? Okay, so this man is professing faith. There is a profession of faith that is taking place here. But James is saying, as you speak, as you say, in that confession of faith, you are to do that. As they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Now what James is saying is there's coming a day when we will stand before God Almighty. And on that judgment day, uh, it's going to be a judgment that will bring terror to the person if they do not have faith that has evidence. But if you are a believer, a true believer, that has the evidence of faith that there are works that prove there are there's evidence that you have a genuine faith, it will not be a judgment of terror for you. It will be a judgment of liberty. In fact, he, he talked about rejoicing um, in verse thirteen, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against rejoiceth against judgment. So that's what's going to happen with the believer. If you and I stand before God in that last day where we are judged, if you are right with God and your faith is proved by works in your life, then you will rejoice over that judgment in that day. Can you imagine what it's going to be like if you stand before God and you find out that you're going to enter into heaven, that you are saved, and that the sins that you have committed has been put under the blood of Jesus Christ, And that you're not going to go to hell forever and ever and ever. Can you imagine the joy that you're going to have on that day? And at that point, at that time, the law is going to judge you, but it's not going to be a law that's going to bring terror. It's going to bring liberty, as the scripture says here. There's going to be freedom, and you're going to enter into the freedom of eternal life. Okay? So what James is saying here is that as you speak your confession, be a doer of that confession. There's a lot of people today who have a profession of faith, but how many, how many years some people sit in a church with a profession of faith that they are saved, that they are believers in Jesus Christ and all they have is a profession of faith. See, there's some churches today that will tell you all you've got to do is confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're going to heaven. According to the Word of God, you can have a profession of faith and still go to hell. So don't let anybody tell you that all you have to do is confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're going to be in heaven. that's preached in a lot of churches today. Amen. Now that is the first step in being saved, but that's not all that you're going to need, because you can have a profession of faith. In fact, the Bible will go on and say, the demons confess the truth, and not only do they confess the truth uh, doctrinally, but they also have a response to that truth that tr- that is they tremble. There are devils believe more than most people go to church today because devils have a profession amen and they have a response as well which means they tremble at the fact that Jesus Christ is God and so for a person a person what a point is you can go to church all your life and sit on a pew and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and still be lost and die and go to hell you stand before God on that day and you don't have evidence of genuine faith in your life then you will, you will be lost and you will enter into a judgment of terror not a judgment of liberty so what I'm preaching to you is extremely important uh, especially in this day we live, most churches just say all you need to do is confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and you're going to heaven they are misleading multitudes of people Because James says that you can have a profession of faith, but if it doesn't have works with it, if it doesn't have evidence with it, then that faith is not only dormant, that faith is dead. Okay? So we're going to try to explain these things to you uh, this morning because when we stand before God on Judgment Day, we don't want to find out then that we didn't have true faith. We want to make sure that we're ready to meet God. Amen. Now, so... You can come to church years and years and years, sit on the pew and be lost. Come to church years and years and years and have a profession of faith. What are we going to do then? In all those years you've gone to church thinking you're right with God and you're not right with the Lord. Okay, amen. I think first of all, we need to start out by saying this, is that true faith, number one, the preachers in the pulpit have to tell the people this. Why would there be a lack, a, a, a deficiency of a person's faith where it's just profession? Well, first of all, I think it's because of the people, the preachers in the pulpit. Because they are not sufficiently warning the congregations that they are preaching to. Okay? For example, if I stand up here and I tell you all you have to do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior and you're going to be in heaven, That's all I ever tell you. And you end up being lost. That's on me. Amen. If I tell you sufficiently the Word of God, that in your confession of faith, there must be a true repentance of sin. Genuine repentance of sin. That means that you and I must turn from our sin, repent of that sin, and turn to God that we put that sin under the blood of Jesus Christ and the word repentance means to have a change a change of mind so it's more than just confessing Jesus as your Lord you have to have a change of mind and with a change of mind a change of direction with your life you're turning from your sin and you're turning to God you're turning from hell and you're turning to heaven amen you're saying Lord I'm no longer going to walk the way I used to live but I'm turning to you, I'm repenting, asking you to forgive me of my sin, and now, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I'm giving you my life. You will be the Lord of my life. So for there to be a deficiency in faith, number one, it lacks the evidence of repentance. There's no true, genuine repentance in the life of the individual. A turning from sin and a turning to God, there's no separation from the world. There is a A life that's lived with a passion for the things of this world more than the things of God. If your life does not change when you claim to have a profession of faith that you believe in Jesus Christ, if your life does not change, then you have not been changed. If you can sit and watch hours and hours and hours of television, soap operas, and uh, all kinds of filth and, and you've got a passion for those things you have you have a passion for for sports and athletics you don't dress according to what the bible says uh, the way that you're supposed to dress you are you are after the fashions of this world you don't live holy in your life, your appearance, your heart, your spirit, then you don't have evidence that you're a true believer in Jesus Christ. See, I, I don't perceive, I don't believe that you can uh, live a life where you're professing Christ, but you don't have holiness in your life. You're not separated from the world, but you have a, a passion for the things of this world. Now, brothers and sisters, and I'm preaching to myself first, and I'm talking to you. How can we set and have a passion for the filth that comes through television and movies that come through the carnal mind from the carnal minds of men or listen to the music of this world that come from the carnal minds of men and think that you and I are going to go to heaven? how how is it possible that you and i could live in an an ungodly way talk in an ungodly way dress in an immodest way and still think we're going to heaven it's not possible so where is our passion today is it for the world is it for the things of the world do we have a, a passion for that more than we do god if we do, brothers and sisters, we don't have the evidence of a true Christian. Amen. And it will be seen in my life and it will be seen in your life uh, through a separation, a holy life that's lived before God. But that starts with repentance. Next thing that the preacher is responsible to tell the congregation is That once they have repented of their sins, that means they've turned from sin and turned to God, the next thing that they must do is to be water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. And the Bible says, And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You'll get a brand new life with a new nature. With a new passion for God, you'll become a new creation in Jesus Christ. And if you are a true believer, brothers and sisters, when we sit down and we talk about the eternal judgment to come and God's wrath that's going to be poured out, and then we share with you out of the Word of God, repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, if you respond to that message, and you believe that message, and you put that into action, you repent, you're baptized in water in the name of the Lord, for the ministry. of sin, and you receive the Holy Ghost, that is the beginning of a true confession of faith. It is much more than accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus said you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. Amen? Now, you may start out in the church where you take that first step of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you may even take the step of repentance asking God to forgive you of your sin. And it may be years before somebody ever comes into your life and shows you that full gospel. But when that full gospel message is showed to you, you will obey it and you will believe it because you have true faith in your heart. How can you reject that truth if you really have true, genuine faith in your life? So a lot of this that we're preaching about today where uh, uh, there is a deficiency in a person's faith that does not produce salvation is on the pulpits and the preachers because they're not telling the people how to put that faith into action. And so after you become a born-again believer according to Acts 2.38, then you go on and live a holy life, a separated life, a godly life, outwardly and inwardly. And that is the proof that you are a true believer. How many people today have the doing also with the same? So as your pastor today, I have a responsibility to stand before you and preach you a warning to tell you that that we must have action with what our confession is of being born again of the water and the Spirit and then living a godly and holy life before Him. And if you don't do that, when you stand before God on Judgment Day, you are going to go to hell. There are some people today that don't have enough faith to even make it to church. But they say, I believe in Jesus. So James is going to talk about this. We need to understand that someday we're going to stand before God Almighty and it's going to be judgment day. And when I do, do I have the evidence? Do I have the works that justify me? It's not that I have faith in God and I'm going to add my works to that. What it is I have faith in God and my genuine faith in God produces works. If your faith in God does not produce works, you don't have faith this morning. Zero. James doesn't say your faith is dormant. He says you don't have any. Because it's proven by the actions of your life and the actions of my life. And this is something that the devil agrees with. This is something the devil knows. That's why he trembles. Because he knows there's a judgment coming. Hallelujah. And demons know there's a judgment coming. And they tremble. And they know that they're not right with God. But they know the doctrine. Demons know the doctrine. The devil knows the truth. Did you know that? He knows the truth this morning. Just to know the truth and even confess it with your mouth is not enough to save you. Because the devil knows the truth and confesses it with their mouth. And not only that, but the devils respond to the Word of God. They tremble. So, so many people today are being being deceived and deluded by preachers in the pulpit. Amen? And their lives have not been changed. There's no evidence. There's no proof that they're a born-again believer whatsoever in the way that they live. They don't live separated from the world. They don't live a holy life before God. They look like. They talk like. They do everything that the world does and yet claim to be a Christian. That's not what your Bible teaches, brothers and sisters. Amen. And it's it's not about wearing a cross around your neck. Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ, I told uh, Brother Brandon when I talked to him on the phone the other day, Jesus Christ, when He hung on that cross, He didn't make the cross the new symbol for Christianity. When He died on that cross, He destroyed the symbol of the cross. The, The cross was a symbol of a false god. And people before Jesus ever died on the cross wore a cross around their neck to honor a false god called Tammuz. To ward off demonic spirits, you wear a cross around your neck, you're saying you worship Tammuz, and you believe that that power of that false God will do away with demonic spirits in your life. So, these these things that people have, these symbolisms that they have, and the professions of faith that they have, they don't understand. Those very things are things Jesus Christ died on to remove, not to establish. Amen. So you can have all that stuff, you know, or you can dress, you got the chain, you got all of that, right? You got the Bible underneath your arm. That's not going to be enough. Are you born again of the water and the Spirit? And if you look at Acts chapter 2, you will see when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, repentance and water, baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and being filled with the Holy Ghost. He keeps on preaching. He talks about judgment that's going to come. So what he does, he says, save yourselves, save yourselves from this untoward, crooked generation. You heard the message that will save you. Now, do it. And he talks about these, this judgment, these pillars of fire and smoke and, you know... The blood turning, I mean, the moon turning to blood, and so he tells you in Acts chapter two how to escape the judgment to come by repenting and be baptized in his name and being filled with the Holy Ghost. See, brother, sister, when they when that man showed me that in the Bible, Acts two thirty-eight, I was raised in church all my life. I went through uh, the process process of getting of catechism, you know, as a Lutheran. And uh, I uh, you know, I did that, accomplished that. Then they, you know what they do. Okay, now they say, you can be a member of the church. Well, I went through all of that. But I sat down with a man of God. And he showed me Acts 2.38. When he showed that to me, I said, nobody's ever showed that to me in the Bible. I said, lead me to the water. Why? Because I had true faith. If I wouldn't have had true faith, when He showed me that in the Bible, I would have said, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Lutheran. I don't need that. I've been through catechism. I don't need that. No, when He showed me in the Word of God, I believe the Word of God and I put it into action. If I had rejected that truth, I wouldn't have had true faith. Amen? So, so speak ye, so and so do. You've got to be a doer of what you're confessing. Hallelujah. And confession, brothers and sisters, includes being born again of the water and the Spirit and living a godly and holy life before Him. And that's why I'm wondering, you know, the other day I said, uh, preaching to you, I said, I don't believe there's anybody here right now I'm preaching to that's lost. We didn't have guests then, you know at that time. He said, I don't believe anybody's lost. But when I read this last night, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. In fact, when I got through studying last night, I went and sat down on the couch with my wife and I said, I'm trembling. How many of us are really saved? Including your Pastor. Because our life, brothers and sisters, the life that is lived, if we don't have the evidence of true faith, our faith is dead. It caused me to tremble. I don't want to get there on judgment day and stand before God and He opens up His law and it becomes a, a judgment of terror for me. I want to be I want to have the law bring liberty to me, freedom. And that means that I have the evidence that I am a truly genuinely born again believer that I live it every day of my life. Not just on Sunday and not just on Wednesday, but every day that I live. God is my priority. God is my God. And I put nothing ahead of Him or above Him or before Him. He has to be the preeminent one in my life. So I'm checking my life too, brothers and sisters, as I preach to you. I'm checking my life. Amen. Where's my passion? Am I, on, am I on God's side or am I on the world's side? How am I living? I know I've been baptized in the same field with the Holy Ghost with the evidence to speak with other tongues. I believe that message. But today, salvation is past, present, and future. You can be saved in the past but not be saved in the present. You have to be saved in the past continue to be saved in the present if you're going to have future salvation and all along that path brothers and sisters you're going to have proof by your works that your faith was real now at the end of the chapter James is going to talk about Abraham and he talks about Abraham was justified by works he also talks about how Abraham believed God and he was accounted to him for righteousness that was 25 years before he had the works of offering Isaac on the altar 25 years in Genesis 15 verse 6 the Bible says when Abraham believed God it was accounted to him for righteousness and then 25 years later when God said offer your son Isaac to me 25 years later that what God said about Abraham Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness 25 years later it was proven and when he did that it completed his faith it it proved that his faith was real hallelujah so this 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 idea that you get saved one time in the past and you're forever saved unconditionally unconditionally eternal security it's not in the bible because it may be 25 years later after you believe god that god asks you to prove your faith so we really need to look at it our confession today is our life being lived in such a way that it agrees with our confession. So speak you, so do. Amen. Verse 12. So speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. There is a judgment that's coming, and it's going to be a judgment that brings terror, or it's going to be a judgment that brings freedom in our lives. Amen. At 18 years of old, I knew enough. When I went to my mother and I told my mom at 18 years of old, having been raised in the Lutheran church, I told my mother, I said, I'm not saved. And she patted me on the back, and I'll never forget it in that kitchen. She patted me on the back and she said, Jerry, you're saved. I said, No, I'm not, Mom. I said, Friday nights I go cruise the drag and I drink with people that I see at church on Sunday. I said, we're no different from anybody that's in the world. We don't live any different from anybody in the world. I told my mother, How can I be saved? It was too much took longer after that. I was baptized in water in the name of Jesus and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and begin to walk with God in my life. How many people you know today are hypocrites? They confess one thing when they go to church but they live like they're lost the rest of the week. Well James is telling you they're lost. they don't have saving faith. So do not desire to be like them or to be living like them those that do not have a godly and holy life before him. Amen you want to make sure you're calling' you're calling election. make sure you're calling election. Make your call and election sure. You make absolutely sure that you've got the evidence in your life. I'm asking you today. Uh, Some of you today, he's preaching to brethren. He's preaching to brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm asking you today. When you look at your life, do you have the evidence that you're a true believer? Or do you listen to the same music of the world, watch the same filth as the world, Try to dress and look like the world. Amen? Have the same passions for other things that the world has. And I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with sports or athletics, but it can become your God. We sit there and we feed ourselves, listen to that music, feed ourselves, read stuff, the most filthy stuff, written and, and, and produced by carnal-minded men. And don't bother you. Do we have true faith? According to James, we don't. So speak ye, so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. What doth it profit, my brethren? What does it profit, my brethren? See, he's writing believers. He's speaking to believers, not the world. What does it profit, my brethren? Profit? What's he talking about? The day of judgment. What's it going to profit you and me on the day of judgment to stand before God and say, "Lord, that I confessed you"? What profit will it be for you and I? If we stand before God on the day of judgment with no evidence of faith, no works, no separated life, no godly life, no holy life, what's it going to profit you to stand before Him on that day and say, but I confess you, if you don't have the evidence, the works, what profit in that day? What profit in this day, in this moment, in this time? And James begins to talk about this. He'll give us a parable here to explain it. But verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say? There's that profession. Years in the church. Profession only. Though a man say he hath faith, and hath not works, can faith save him? Well, another Paul talked about it. Amen. We're justified by faith. But here, James is saying the faith that justifies you better has got to have some works with it. If it don't have works with it, your faith is not only... It's not, some people say, well, my faith is just dormant. It's not dormant. It's dead. It's nil and void. Hallelujah. Now you might think I'm coming after you too strong this morning, but I've got a response before God to warn you, and I've got to listen to, to James myself, because I don't want to be lost. Amen? The answer to that question is, if you don't have works, James, asked a question. The answer to that question is no. Your faith is not going to save you if your faith is by itself. Can faith save him? If a, look at this, we're talking about salvation, are we not? If a brother say a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, so he gives us this parable, this picture, brother and a sister, this destitute of what? Daily food. He don't go into extremes. He doesn't say, okay, you got a brother or sister that you know go buy him a month's supply worth of food go to Costco and buy a month's supply worth of food. No. He's talking about a specific need, a daily need. This brother don't have food for the day. Amen? It's cold outside. Don't have clothes to wear. It's cold outside. Amen? Now why is this brother or this sister destitute in this condition where they don't have food to eat? or a coat to wear in the cold. It could very well be that this brother and sister are being persecuted for the faith. That they they got rejected by their family. They got rejected by friends. They got rejected at their job. And so now they can't even provide for themselves because of persecution. I don't know what brought it on. The Bible doesn't tell me. But the background of this passage according to most theologians, that these people could be persecuted. And so they now they come to the church destitute, nothing to eat, no daily food, and no coat to wear. It's cold. And so they go to the brothers or the sisters in the church. Can you help me with the meal today? It's cold outside. Can you give me something to wear? Well, here, here's what James says. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace. You know, we're real good at that, aren't we? You know, but we say it a different way. We don't say depart in peace. We say, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. How many of y'all ever done that? Be praying for you. Yeah, we're real good, right? See, we want to warm up the situation. Be praying for you. Most of the time, don't even pray for him. Be praying for you. How many of y'all ever don't lift your hand? How many of you ever told somebody, be praying for you, and you don't? You don't even do that. It sounds good. See? So we might not say, you know, depart and be warm. Right? But we say, I'm praying for you. Amen? What do you say unto them depart in peace be you warmed and and filled notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful so the uh, to the body what doth it profit there's no evidence of your faith what does it profit in light of the eternal judgment to come and what does it profit that day you tell somebody you know be warm and be filled be praying for you You haven't helped the person. You haven't put into action anything. You haven't done anything to help the situation. Amen. In verse 17, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is what? Dead. It doesn't say it's dormant. He says it's dead. It doesn't have, why? Because it doesn't have works. It doesn't have evidence. Being alone. Verse 18, Yeah a man may say, Thou hast faith. And I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. See, he, see he's got this uh, imaginary debater. He's debating. And uh, a technical term is a an interlocker, interlocutor. And and so this imaginary debater, you know, James is going to bring this imaginary debater. And what he's doing is he's anticipating the questions in the audience that he's preaching to. Okay, you know. And so he's got this imaginary debater. This imaginary debater says, "Well, I have faith." James says, "Well, I have faith." By my my faith is demonstrated by works. Amen. He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, the point being is this, is that faith is invisible. You know, it's it's something that's between you and God. Right? So if I say I have faith in God, because it's an invisible thing in the heart between you and the Lord, nobody can see that. Right? It's an invi- Faith is invisible. Alright, so I have got faith. But the only way in order for faith to become visible so it can be seen is when you put actions to it. So that the invisible faith that you claim to have stays invisible because it's not real. Until that true faith that you have produces action in your life. Does that make sense? Then your faith is seen. You would talk about, I got faith in Jesus all day long, but you don't have the life to prove it. Then all you have is something that's invisible. And not only is it invisible, it doesn't exist. Because true faith in the Lord it's going to become visible by the way that you live. And it's just a parable he talks about the destitute brother or sister. He's saying in general, this is what happens for all of us. We could talk about our faith in God, but if you don't have a separated, godly, holy life that's lived before God in obedience to the truth, you don't have faith. If you've got faith, it will be lived and it will be able to be seen Visibly that way. Say, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is what? It's dead, being it alone. Verse 17. Again, yeah, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show thee my faith by my works. Amen. The only way that faith can become visible is if there's works there. Okay? So we talk the talk, we have the confession is the reality there by life lived. Amen. If we're not living it and there's no works, you don't have no faith. Okay? And it won't profit you on the day of judgment, and it won't profit you in this in this day. Verse 19. <clears throat> Now, (coughs) James is going to talk about something very powerful. Now listen to this. Verse 19. Thou believest that there is what? One God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Did you hear that? The devils believe in one God and they tremble. So if you believe, if you have a statement of faith, like Deuteronomy 6 and 4 was the statement of faith for Israel. Hero O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. One Lord. One God. Surrounded by the nations who practice polytheism, the worship of many gods. Here's little Israel. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Not two, not three, but one Lord. Numerical oneness. That was the, the statement of faith for the Israelite. They called it the Shema. And they would stand up and they would pray, Here always with the Lord, our God is one. And they would say, He's one, He's one, He's one, He's one. They would repeat that in the congregation. He's one God. It was their confession of faith in the midst of a culture who believed in many gods. And for the church of the living God, we are the same way. We have the same confession of faith being surrounded by many gods. We declare, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O church. The Lord our God is one God. One. The statement of faith. How many of y'all believe that truth today? then you are doctrinally correct. Your theology is correct if you believe in one God. See, there's, there's something that the devil and I agree on. <laughs> and that, that there's only one God... I believe in that. The devil believes that. See, the devil believes more than some church people, and the devil believes in more than some preachers today because some preachers say, will tell you he's three. The devil doesn't even believe that. Something I and the devil agree on is that the Lord God is one Lord, and his name is Jesus. And so the scripture tells us, we have this record in the New Testament, uh, Gospels, where Jesus, in one place, found the Gadarean man, we call him the demoniac. Jesus made his way to the Gadareans, and as he approached that demoniac, who had thousands of demons inside of him, legion. Those demons started speaking out of that. Demoniac, because they knew that Jesus was about to cast them out. They knew it. They knew who he was. And they said to Jesus, Thou art the Son of the Most High God. They made a confession of, of truth there. Doctrinally accurate, theologically accurate. You are the Son of God. They knew He was God walking in the flesh. Did demons believe that Jesus was God? Yes, they believed, demons believed that Jesus was God. And they knew, they trembled because they knew He was about to cast them out. They said, don't cast us into the abyss. See, they're, wor- they're trembling because they fear the judgment of this Son of God. Not only did they believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, but they believed that He had the power to judge them, and they trembled in His presence. They said, don't cast us into the abyss. And Jesus cast them into the swine, and the swine went off of the cliff into the waters and were drowned. The pigs were not willing to live with a demon in them. See, the pigs, there are human beings are willing to live with a devil in them. But there are pigs who are not willing to live with a demonic spirit. They would rather commit suicide. They went off the cliff and committed suicide. But the point is that when they saw Jesus Christ coming, they knew who He was. He was God come in the flesh and He's coming to bring judgment upon them. And they trembled when they saw Him. The Bible says there's a man standing in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He is a demon-possessed man. He uh, Jesus begins to speak to that man. He begins to speak to the demonic spirits that were inside of that man. And those spirits begin to speak back to Jesus. And they said, Oh, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. They knew who He was. Something I and the devil agree on and that is that here always with the Lord our God is one Lord. The wording here is exactly the same as the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. The devils believe in one God. He says if you, do, if you believe in one God, you got the doctrine right. You do well. But is that enough to save you? No. You can have all your theology right. You can have the doctrine concerning the oneness of God right and still be lost. Because obviously, if the devil believes that there's one God, he's not saved. So confession, even knowing the truth doctrinally, is not enough to save us. And notice this, James is talking about faith without works is dead, being alone. Notice this, not only did the devils have a correct theology, they were doctrinally correct. They knew there was only one God, but they also responded with trembling. There was an action and that didn't produce salvation for them. Because uh, it did not produce obedience to the truth. It did not produce a changed life in the devil. Amen? The devils can't be saved, obviously. But the point being is this, that James is saying even when you're looking at the demonic world, you look at devils. They confess that there's one God. They have the right doctrine. They have the right faith when it comes to who Jesus is. And not only that, he said, and they respond to the word when they hear it. They respond to that confession with trembling. They know there's a judgment day coming. And they do everything they can, brothers and sisters, to try to stop that day from coming. But those demons cannot stop that day from coming. They're doing everything they can to stop it, but they can't. Stop that day of judgment. So they confess He is God. They believe in the deity of Jesus. but they And they also tremble, respond to that, because they know judgment's coming. And they do everything they can to stop it, but they can't stop it. Now I ask you today, do you believe in one God? You do well, but that's not enough to save you. Do you also know that there there is a judgment that's going to come and that when that judgment's come, you better have some evidence, you better have some works, you better have a response to that faith that you profess. Don't just say it, but do it. Don't just claim it, but live it. The devil even knows the truth. They confessed it when he walked the earth. They know more than most preachers in the pulpit do. Most saints in the church do. Not here because we preach the oneness of God to you. And we preach the judgment to come. Hallelujah. But I'm also telling you, and I'm preaching to myself by the Word of God today, that I better have the works, I better have the evidence on that day of judgment because if I don't have it, what will it profit me to say I've got faith? Devil believes in the doctrine, brothers and sisters. The devil believes that Jesus Christ came in this world was God come in flesh. The devil believes that Jesus Christ died on that cross and shed his blood to save mankind. The devil knows that. He believes that. He believed Jesus rose again on the third day. He believed that Jesus ascended to sit on the right hand of God. He believes that. He believes the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. He saw those people speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. He believes that. He believes that when you repent of your sin and are baptized in the name of Jesus, your sins will be remitted. He believes that you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He believes the truth, but he's lost. How many today people in churches all over America, all over the world today, they have doctrinal confessions of faith, but they're not saved because they don't have the response. They don't even tremble at His Word like demons tremble at His Word knowing judgment's coming. Where is the action? Where is the response to that confession of faith? What I'm telling you today is you can know this bible inside out from Genesis to the book of Revelation. You can quote it left and right. You can quote the scripture the Shema heroes with the Lord our God is one Lord. You can tremble at the fact that judgment is coming, but if it does not produce a saving faith which results in proof or evidence, your faith is dead. I believe. The devil believes. But it didn't change his life. It didn't produce in him obedience to the Word of God. Powerful statement of truth. How many gods are there? One. Do you tremble at that truth? Do you tremble when you think about the judgment to come? Or do you, no big deal. I'll live the way I want to live, ungodly, unholy. Friend of this world, you are dying and going to hell in that condition. Because faith alone does not save you. You with me today? If there be any person here today that's got a demonic spirit inside of them that demonic spirit will tremble inside of you. Knowing the truth that I preach. He knows the invisible God of eternity came in the form of a man and walked this earth. They knew who he was. They were strict monotheistic. They had, if you will, they had the same confession of faith that Israel had. They had the same confession of faith that you have, Except they tremble. not enough it's not enough thou believest that there is one God thou doest well the devils also believe and look they even have a response do you think the point brothers and sisters you and I can have all the doctrines right man we can have them memorized we can teach them only confession only profession Are you living it today? Do you live a godly, holy, separated life of obedience to the truth of God's Word? Can it be seen? Is the evidence there? That's what's going to stand on Judgment Day. When the devil looks at my life or looks at your life, the devil even knows that a life without works, evidence proving of that faith, the devil knows that you're lost. He knows that. He knows what's required. That true faith produces true evidence. I, I sometimes often think, and as I wrestle with uh, the the times and seasons where the tiredness of the body comes on me, and you know, and I get that, and I understand sometimes that's just natural and and all of that, and you know, you age and you're getting old with your but sometimes I wonder if God's spirit is being grieved by the life that is lived. If you're not walking in a way that's pleasing God, you will be oppressed. You will be tired. You will be worn out because you're resisting the work of the Spirit of God in your life. You can take all the vitamins you want to. You can drink all the vital water you want to. You can do all of that. You can take all the drugs you want to. But you're never going to be where you want to be physically, or are you with me, because God is wrestling with your soul. He wrestles with my soul. Maybe I think I'm on my way to heaven, and the Holy Ghost in me is grieved. Because I'm trying to save you, son, but you're kicking against the pricks. You look at the Old Testament. When Israel went to war with the enemies in the Old Testament, they had physical conflict with the enemies in the Old Testament in the land of promise. But we don't fight with swords now, do we? Physical swords. We don't fight physical bodies. Then what does that teach us? Mortify your enemy. Kill the deeds of the body. It teaches you the Spirit of God is at war with your flesh. The Spirit of God is at war with my flesh. The Spirit of God will not just sit back and fold His hands. He will go to war with my carnality. He'll go to war with my sin. He'll go to war with that old sin nature. It's no longer physical battles now like they did in the Old Testament, but that's teaching you The way the Spirit of God goes to war with your flesh when it's out of His will. You get a true servant of God and I'm not claiming to be that. I'm going to stand and preach the Word of God I'll let God judge me on Judgment Day. But I will say that today. You get a true servant of God It's really anointed by God. He'll come after your Adamic nature every time He preaches. The Holy Ghost in that man will not let you just sit there in your carnality and your backslidden condition with a passion for the world. A life given over to that old Adamic nature. He'll not let that happen inside of you if he's truly called by God because all prophets go after that old Adamic nature that's on the inside of every one of you and inside of me. They leave this house and say, He was after me. You better believe I was after you. I'm after your flesh, your carnality, your backstone state. You better believe it. I'm going to preach the word of God to you. Because God is at war with that that opposes him in us. Say praise the Lord. Amen. You know what I mean? When we get right with God, it's amazing how, you know, when we get delivered and we get right with God, how whole and complete we become. We're not lacking anymore, we have wholeness in our life victory and power and strength in our life but until then the Holy Ghost will be in your life worrying and convicting you and dealing with you man trying to save you that's the goodness of God in my life when God strives with me refuses to allow me to continue in my state my condition the path for the love for the things of this world Feeding on the filth. Amen. Say praise the Lord. It could have. Listen, this happened to me. It could happen to all of us. I'm going to just be honest with you. Are y'all with me? There's some things, man, moving this stuff are going, man. You know that's filth, man. I'm not standing up here preaching to you like you know I'm up here and you're down there. I'm just telling you. That's why the Holy Ghost deals with me. Music. You know, you think about it, brothers and sisters, the way you dress. Is telling everybody what you you're either a friend of the world or you're a friend of God. You can talk good talk all you want to, but the way you dress, you are by your actions declaring whether or not you have true faith or not. God will go to war with that in you. And ungodliness and modesty in our life. And I thank God for it. I'm not complaining today. I thank God for it. Holy Ghost, wear me out until I get so tired of resisting you and fighting you and rejecting you, your conviction. Wear me out till I fall on my face before you in an altar because the day of judgment's coming. And this passive Christianity, this lukewarm Laodicea, confession-only Christianity is not going to be enough to save you or me. We don't have the life lived and life changed in obedience to truth that God requires in His Word. He calls every one of us to live a separated and godly life, separate from this world, holy before God. And everything that we do and the thoughts that we have, what we give ourselves to listen to, watch, how we dress, everything. We got the evidence today that we're true servants of God. You can get mad and quit and go somewhere else. You can quit and go to another church, man, where that church pretty much has been captured by the world. They look like the world. They're no different from the world. They're trying to reach the masses by being like them. The only way you'll ever reach truly reach people is by living a separated, godly life and preaching to the people, a separated and godly, holy life. God will go to war with that because His Spirit is grieved. If you're a believer, so His work seek us. Because God, as we talked to you earlier, before received with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your soul. The Word of God is like a seed. And what we see in this person here that doesn't have evidence of faith, we see seed that has been aborted. We see seed that fell into the ground, but the seed was spoiled didn't produce any fruit. So today, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to be too harsh with you, but today we need to examine our life. What do we do with the other, you know, whatever? How many hours we have available to us? How do we live? What are we giving ourselves to? we're giving ourselves to the world, the passions of this world, no wonder we come in here where we don't have no power. No victory at all. When you talk about music and movies and shows and the way you dress, you also got to remember, you got to be careful about listening to so-called Christian music. When you listen to that music, you need to listen to the words that are being sung. Because some of the, some of the songs in so-called Christian music today not biblical. They're rooted in philosophy. Preachers today that stand and preach, they want to preach a feel-good message to you. Some preacher today in, in the state of Texas, I'm not going to call him by name, I don't feel led to right now, but I'm going to tell you something, that man has thousands and thousands and thousands of people in his congregation. You know what he preaches? He don't preach the Bible. He preaches a philosophy, a psychology that comes from an unbeliever. If you're not careful, you start listening to that charismatic stuff, it'll start messing with your head. I'm going to listen to the Word of God. Brother, I'm going to tell you something, man. You better make up your mind if you're the only one. That's all right. Only eight people were saved in the days of... When I stand before God on Judgment Day, I'll rejoice over Judgment because I know, God, I deserve to die for that that I did. But it didn't end in fa- total failure. But I tell you where you got a problem. If your failure leads you to total failure, you leave the church, you leave the truth, then you got big trouble facing you because you no longer have evidence of faith. The good news is that I'm not totally a failure. You know what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. Have you ever feel like a failure? I said, I said, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I told a Sister in the Lord the other day she's, you know, she needs some information to get this computer stuff going. And I said, just tell him total, just tell him um, Chief Flunky is his name. I said, after you give him my name, and she said, well, I'm going to give him your name, your social security. I'm going to. And I said, after you give them all of that, if they still can't help you, tell them, Chief Flunky. And that'll get the job done. She called me back. She said, Pastor, we got the job done. I said, now what got it was you You told them Chief Flunky. Chief Flunky. That's the way I feel sometimes, like a failure to Chief Flunky. But I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. The good news today is... I'm not in total failure, and nor are you. Hallelujah! Somebody shout praise the Lord! And that day I'm going to rejoice over judgment. Uh, You know, I don't know. The sin is under the blood. And I won't have to pay that price because it's under the blood, but I wonder if God's going to let me see what I did so I can rejoice. Say, Lord, I see what I did. And I know I deserve judgment. But I rejoice over judgment. Mercy rejoices over judgment. Because it did not issue forth in total failure in my life so that when I stand before God, I'll stand there in terror at the time of judgment. But it'll be a time of judgment that brings freedom to me in my life give the lord a hand clap of praise amen. hallelujah anybody want to ask you what your pastor name just tell him chief blunky amen i'm in touch with myself i know but i know god i know god's mercy and grace amen. in my life and i thank god i'm not a total i'm a total failure i thank god for that hallelujah amen say praise the lord but I've got to. Have, I can't make excuses for myself. I, there's got to be the works in my life that prove I've got the goods. That I've got the faith. Hallelujah! A life lived separated and godly and holy before the Lord. How I many? So I already confessed my failure. I'm chief Lunky. How about y'all? Anybody here, Eddie? You ever feel that way, Sister Monica? Yeah. Join the club. But we're still fighting. We're still here. We're still in this battle. Hallelujah! Can anybody not lift your hand? You're the one I'm worried about. We be good, Pastor. We be good. Judgment day's coming. We believe that. We should tremble. But wilt thou know, verse 20, old oh, vain man, that faith without works is dead? Vain man. Vain man. Don't you know that, that faith without works is dead? Being alone is dead. He said, vain man, you're, you're futile. Your profession, you claim to be a believer. You profess with your mouth to be a believer, but you don't live it. You don't have a separated holy life before God. You don't live it, so your profession is dead. They praise the Lord. When you when you got born again, how many of your life changed? It changed. If it didn't, nothing happened. Okay, you and me. Praise the Lord. I know my life changed. I can look back almost forty years. I can tell you the way I was living before my life changed amen and I, I love him I thank God well wilt thou know vain man that faith without works is dead you know that word vain is interesting you know you're not going to like it but, but because you want me to be all refined and dignified you know and I'm really trying hard to but you know what he says? He says you're empty-headed if you believe that. Look, at your neighbor and say that dude's empty-headed. You think that you can you can just have a confession of faith and don't have no evidence, no proof? You got an empty head. That's what it literally is. That's what the literal meaning is. You know, another another term that's used sometimes. Maybe if you don't understand empty-headed, maybe I can give you this term: blockhead blockhead say praise the Lord if you don't like that term I read one translation uh, yesterday he said you're stupid so you know I praise the Lord I have to rely on these translations and literal translations and interpretations by other people because if I get up and say you know you're a blockhead or you're empty-headed or you're stupid you're gonna say see there's pastor you know he But that's the truth, man. You think they have a confession of faith, say, you believe, you're a believer. You don't have proof of a separated, godly, obedient life to God. You're empty-headed. That's James. But y'all like the King King James Version. Vain. Faith without works is what? It's dead. It's not Norman. It's dead. It's nil. Nothing. Zero. So then he he ends up with a couple examples here. Old Testament examples. Abraham and Rahab. And he goes on and he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Wow. When he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar. Now I preach this to you. Interesting enough, I preached this to you Wednesday night, as I felt letter of the Holy Ghost to preach it to you. Now we're in the book of James, so you know the story well. But Abraham was justified by works when he offered. Justified. What does that mean? Justified. Made right or in right standing with the Lord. See, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about how to be in right standing with the Lord. He says the way you're in right standing with God is you're justified by works. Wow. Well, I thought Abraham was justified by believing in God. He was. But it wasn't completed or fulfilled until he had the works to prove it. You awake? Okay. So, very quickly, and I, I don't have time to go back over and repreach what I preached you Wednesday night, but Genesis 15 and verse 6. Let's look at this. In a life of Abraham. <clears throat> He believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. God put it on his account. Let's go to verse 5 so you know the context. in Genesis fifteen five. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. He said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord. Look at that. Abraham believed in who? Yahweh, the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. But it wasn't until 25 years later, after Abraham exercised Abram exercised his faith in the Lord and believed the word of God, it wasn't until 25 years later, till that faith was proven. In Genesis 22. Verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Amen. Without reading the whole story, 25 years later, after God says that Abraham believed him, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, 25 years later, that that faith is going to be tested. Is it going to have works or not? Okay, watch. So James chapter 2 alludes to this. Verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled. which said, Abraham what? Believed God. He believed God. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called... The friend of God. See, he got on God's side. He was a one God believer. He got on God's side. He was called a friend of God. We in Genesis 15, verse 6. Are you with me here? Are y'all awake? Verse 21 Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? That's Genesis twenty two. Genesis 15, verse 6. Are you with me? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, "Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him." See, it wasn't complete. It wasn't fulfilled. It wasn't accomplished faith until Abraham added to that faith the works that proved it, and that was 25 years later. Amen. So it proved that what God said about Abraham, that Abraham believed God. And he imputed unto him for righteousness this 25 year later experience where he was willing to offer up Isaac. The Bible said brought that faith to completion. It was real. Amen. So Abraham didn't just have a profession of faith that he believed in God. He had the evidence or the work that he believed in God. See. Powerful. He was called the friend of God. mean, God, see in Isaiah forty-one. We'll we'll touch on that some other time. Isaiah said he was a friend of God. Doesn't say that in the book of Genesis. It says it in the book of Isaiah. It says it in the book of Chronicles, Abraham was called the friend of God. Why? Because he believed God. But when it came time to be tested. He had the proof, the evidence, the works were there. 25 years later, I ask you today, you're here now, where will you be in 25 years? Will you have the proof, the evidence, a faith that it's real or not? A saving faith, a faith that puts you in right standing before God is a faith that is demonstrated by evidence of works that life. Amen. So someday, judgment day, you won't be able to point a finger at your pastor. Everybody in this church this morning, if you don't make it into heaven, you won't be able to bring me. I've warned you. I've told you what the Bible said. If I don't make it, I have no No excuse. Because the word of God says See, how many churches have you ever been to? All oh, they say, just confess Jesus as your personal Savior and you're going to heaven. Not James. He's not the pastor of that church. Yeah. Oh, just keep... No. Abraham was a friend to God. That means he was on God's side. He wasn't on the world's side. You can't be joined in the world and live like the world and be on God's side. Say, praise the Lord. Verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified by works put in right standing, not by faith only. Amen. Likewise, also, now he talks about a woman. Now, this woman Rahab is not even in the same league as Abraham. She's not even in the same league. You know, but... He's talked about a man, so he's, he's, he's going to reach over and pick a woman, Rahab. You know, we've got to talk about a woman. We're going to talk about a man. we got to talk about a woman, James said. But I think that really he could have picked Sarah. He could have picked a lot of other women. And I'm going to show you tonight why I really believe he picked her here. If you come back? But notice... She's not even, she's a woman, she's not even in the same league as Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of the faithful. You know what James says? Rahab, the harlot. He doesn't apologize for it. He said she was a whore. Recently I was preaching, you know, uh, in the book of Revelation on the internet. And uh I was preaching on the the throne of the beast and, and I think it was the throne of the beast, and I said Horlet <laughs> Praise the Lord. I was preaching on that harlot. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, but James he don't he, he don't apologize. He said Rahab was a harlot. She was a prostitute if you want the you know nicer way of saying it. She's a prostitute. You Josephus talks about her. He tries to calm the language a little bit and says she was an innkeeper. James says she was a harlot. No <laughs> apologies. All right? Living? Where was she living? In Jericho. The first city that was declared by God to be a city that would be judged by God. She's a woman. She's an idol worshiper surrounded by polytheistic people who believe in more than one God and a prostitute in the city sitting in the wall waiting for people to come by to seduce. But Joshua 2.11 tells us what she did. Go there very quickly. How it all started Two spies go over to Jericho to spy out Jericho. And Rahab the harlot was there and took them into her house, showed action in what she believed. But what did she believe? She was a pagan. She was an idolater. She was a prostitute. But in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 11, And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord... Look at this. That's Yahweh, your God. He is God. This polytheistic woman, idol worshiper, this woman who was a prostitute in a city that was declared by God to be judged and burned by fire and cursed, accursed, And accursed is anybody who would take anything out of Jericho. It was so cursed by God, the judgment of God was so severe upon it that nobody could take anything out of it. And Achan took of the accursed thing and you know what happened to Achan. But Rahab, you know what she did? She said, Yahweh is God. He is God. This idol idol worshiper declared the same thing that the devils confess and that he is God, one God. So the harlot stopped being a harlot. The harlot came out of that city. That harlot escaped from her harlotry. She repented. She declared the oneness of God. The Bible said she took and put a scarlet cord outside of her window so that the spies, when they saw the scarlet cord, which speaks of the blood of Jesus, they said, don't, don't judge, don't destroy her. She's saved because she believed in the blood of Jesus. Are y'all here today? The scarlet cord. That scarlet cord there that we talk about is connected to the Passover lamb in Israel. And the two spies said, you just hang this scarlet cord which speaks of the blood of the Passover lamb out your window. And when the judgments of God fall upon this city because you put your faith in the blood and one God and you not only acknowledged Him but you put to action that faith by hiding us in this city when we come by we know that your faith is real and you're not going to be judged. Hallelujah. But it's going to be your liberty, your freedom, not your terror. And you're going to come out of that city that's determined by God to be judged. God is saying, "Come out of the harlot. Come out of that. Har- Are you with Come out of that city that's going to be judged. There's a harlot riding on the back of that scarlet-colored beast. Come out of her. Don't be a part of her. You can be. This is a hope for all of us." We can be saved, but God can save Rahab. But what is what James says that I come to close. Likewise, also was not Rahab. By the by, the way, her name means broad. I'll explain that tonight. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers. And had sent them out another way for isn't that amazing? You know, Abraham's up here man, but he talks about a woman who was a prostitute. She didn't say that way. She got converted. She believed in the blood. She got converted. She believed in one God. She put it into action, not just an acknowledgement. She had works with or evidence that proved that her faith was real. And I want you to think about that as I come to a close. What she did was dangerous. And when you really live for God in this world, the way the Bible calls you to live, it can be dangerous. She risked her life to hide those spies in that house. Forget about this easy believism stuff. When you have true faith, it will have the proof of the worst the evidence in your life, and sometimes it will cause you to do things that are dangerous in this world. Not easy believism. From that day of judgment when we stand before God, it won't be a judgment of terror. It will be a judgment of liberty by the perfect law of liberty because we have the proof or the evidence not just a confession of the oneness of God not just a statement of faith but a life that's been changed a life that's lived and a life that's obedient to the truth of God's word and if you're that person when you stand before God on judgment day God will say come on in to my heaven because you've got the proof you're not like the devils who have only a confession or a statement of faith You're not just doctrinally right. You've got the life. A separated, godly, holy life lived for the glory of God. Come on in, in the name of Jesus. And James ends this whole thing up. He says this. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Body without the spirit is dead. Faith without works is like a body without a spirit, it's dead. It's dead. You believe in one God? Good. You believe in one God? You've got the body. Now you need the spirit. And that is to live a life, a a Jesus life, if you will. You believe that Jesus is God? Now live that Jesus life. Amen. If you do, then your body has a spirit in it. And you don't just have a confession of faith. Would you stand? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus this morning that what has been preached will enter in the hearts and minds of every individual.